Nation Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the Combination Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Welcome to The State of Us. Real people with honest opinions and the future of responsible media. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. Welcome to The State of Us on True Chat. It's another beautiful day in the great state of Ohio, and we are very pleased that you've decided to join us. Can a judge solve the opioid crisis, or rather, should a judge solve the opioid crisis is the question that we'll be looking at today. It's one raised by the Wall Street Journal. And what are we talking about? Well, multi-district litigation, or MDLs, are becoming an increasingly popular solution uh, for large national cases, and one that's gaining some attention. A Cleveland-based jurist may set drug policy nationwide. So all these drug cases that we've been talking about here on The State of Us are all being pulled together in the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, by one judge. We'll get into the details on that and talk about whether or not uh, it's a good thing. But of course, no show could be complete without your friendly redneck liberal, Lance Jackson. I'm here. Yeah. Ready to go. Ready to roll. Might as well. Okay. I mean, what else are we going to do? Today is today a rolling day? Is it ready to roll or ready to rock today? Ready to roll. This is more of a rolling day. Okay, more yeah. of a rolling day. I don't feel much like rocking it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's the opioid crisis. So, I mean, is that it? Yeah. I'm just tired. Mm. Yeah. Sleepy. Yeah, my team's lost last night. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah, stayed up late watching them lose. Down in the, <laughs> down hey, in the dumps. True fan. Sticking with them till the end. So, so yesterday was a rock day because they'd won three times in a row. So, uh oh, beat the hated Cubs. <laughs> hey, you had was, to, which was great. Had to have a downturn after. Man, the, uh, why? <laughs> That's what I'm asking myself. Why? Everybody <laughs> says that, you know. Yep. Why? That's, that's my comeback. Uh, Why do you have to be down to feel happy? Can't be good forever. Because I know right? I'm happy, right? So let's just yeah. stay happy. Yeah. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? All right. If Hey, opioids. Hey, but we there talked we about that before, right? If, yeah. If, if you're always happy, uh, then you'd never know what happiness is. See, people say that. That's my argument. <laughs> and you're like, nah, like, I don't think so. I know what it I, is. If I, if I know I was happy, <laughs> then I'd, I'd be fine. Yeah. I'm okay with always happy. Should I clap my hands? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because if you're happy and you know no, it, clap, clap your hands. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, can sorry, a ju- <laughs> that's all right. It's been can, a long weekend. <laughs> can a judge solve the opioid crisis? Figure we'd start by getting it out of our systems and then move into it. Okay. So, unlike class actions, the the thing I was talking about before, multi district litigation, or what we're going to say, which is MDLs, right? Because now there's some about DLs. Yeah, I want to say this too, because hmm. I know I know I'm got to watch my HDL. Yeah. And I got to look at my LDLs. Now you got your MDLs. Now I got MDLs. Yep. Yeah. Got to watch out for those. These acronyms are killing uh, me. Unlike class actions, MDLs do not even aim toward a trial, though. So the law that uh, that authorizes MDLs says they may solve only pre-trial issues. So the original idea was that individual cases would return home for trial 
after the MDL. But today the process is resolved in MDL court 97% of the time. So it almost never goes back to the home court to be resolved because it actually, the litigation process in um, the multi-district courts is resolved through kind of like an arbitration process is the thing that's easiest to liken it to in terms of uh, how it's how it ends up getting settled because it's really not, there's no jury or anything like that. Um, so the, the subject matter is the area of interest here, which is the opioid crisis. So what began as a single lawsuit in Ohio is now the only such case that matters. Every significant opioid lawsuit in the U.S. has been lumped together into one giant case going before a single federal judge in Cleveland who has declared his extraordinary ambition to solve the opioid crisis in 2018. And this is none other than Jan, or judge, excuse me, Dan Polster, is bringing before him all the major companies involved. Uh, including many of the pharmaceutical companies that Lance and I have talked about and retailers like CVS and the cases uh, in the Indian Health Service. So here's a little update on that. I was thinking about last week. We haven't talked about that in a while. And there's not a lot of specifics here other than it's all they're all being brought into this one place. And uh, one question that may come to mind is, is it legal? And the answer is yes. Uh, that this kind of arrangement is entirely legal for a judge to require all these people to come before him and bring cases. So before the law him. allows the judge to pull all these people in. That's correct. Okay. Um, so so the, this is really who's pulling people in is our is the judge. Yes. Okay. Yeah, the judge in this case is the one that that pulls them before him. So this is where it's different than where, like, the Justice Department is going to subpoena you, and you know you're going to have these. Uh, investigators that you have to talk to under oath. This is the judge directly um, is the one that really handles. So I want you, 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 and you to all come to my court. Right. And this is the one information I want you to bring. Then I'm going to hand down a decision and tell everybody what they have to do. Right. Because keep in mind the way that they're doing this is by taking multiple cases and saying they're all going to be part of this new MDL. So the special process for consolidating similar cases from different jurisdictions was set up by Congress in 1968 to accommodate, at the time, a rash of antitrust litigation against electrical equipment manufacturers. Okay. So that's why it was started. We established something to solve one problem. Right. And it's now grown into this. But the centrality of this process, there's a word for you centrality of this process to modern litigation tends to shock even experienced lawyers. On the federal docket, 39% of open cases are part of one uh, MDL or another. So mm-hmm. it's increasingly common. And uh, the- Well, sure. Why, why hear your case and then hear my case and then hear your dad's case? Right. Why not just group them all together and we're going to make one decision? Especially if they're all, like in the opioid crisis, if they're all similarly related to, is it these companies' fault? Yeah, but you're suing your doctor, I'm Mm -hmm. suing my pharmacist, and your dad's suing the pharmaceutical company. Right. So it's three different cases. Right. Well, and that's part of this here is, I mean, you've got different drug manufacturers, the Indian Health Service, you know, and you've got retailers. And anybody who has an issue with opioids, this guy's going to solve it. Right. Or make a decision. Now, the thing he's not going to solve it. He's going to make a decision affecting 
No problem. Hopefully, the goal is a policy decision, and here's where the difference lies. You oh, know, but he's a judge. In traditional court. So you court, just used the word. I, I laid the trap, and you fell into it. A policy decision. Yes. Well, that's... He's a judge. He's not supposed to make men- policy. mentions it multiple times. Okay. Um, the, the thinking here is that the, the best way to solve certain kinds of cases is not, for example, well, CVS did this bad thing, so we're going to find them, and that's going to make it better. You know, uh, The thinking is that instead of finding them, we're going to bring them all together and say, you know, basically, here's, we've identified what the problem is. If it happens again, you know, here's what's going to happen now. Instead of, well, we're slapping you on the wrist this time because, you know, you met the qualification. We knew you did this thing. You got to pay these people some money and you can go back and figure out a different way to do the same thing again. Um, It's not that it's a foolproof method, but the appeal to this, at least as I'm understanding it. And keep in mind, I think before today, Lance and I knew next to nothing about this process. I said I knew HDL and LDLs. I didn't know MDLs. Yeah. So it's a very new thing as it, as it may be for you out there. So if you guys know some more about this, definitely share it with us. But um, let's go to Lance before we continue talking about this any further. Why, why should our listeners care? Why do you care about MDLs? Uh, And then the opioid crisis, because this is kind of like a, this is a twofer thing here. Oh, wow. Okay. We've got MDLs. And we're, yeah, we're, we're a rock and roll station now. Yeah. Two right. for Tuesday. Two for Tuesday. Okay. Get a double hit. Um, well, obviously, one, you care because somebody's trying to do something about a situation that is affecting our country. I mean, it's one reason. Right. The opioid um, crisis. Secondly, um, if it is a court making this decision, we will all be affected by the decision. So we should all care about what decision is going to be made uh, because of the fact that it will affect us since it's being made by the court and being done in such a way that it will impact people across the country. Because if the way you've read this, my understanding of MDLs is this is done so that it can affect a wide berth of, of people. So the outcome of this decision by this the, the decision by this judge the outcome that this judge comes to is going to affect everybody as it pertains to the opioid crisis at least the areas that he is bringing in and he's trying to encompass all the areas that he can imagine or think of to make this decision so we're all going to be affected by this decision um so that's why you should be interested now do I get to say whether I like it or not? Or because that really wasn't the question. The question was, why should we be interested in right. this? Why should we I care? Think I've, that's why I think we should be interested in this. Is there anything other reason that you think we should be interested in all in this? Well, here's because I think this is kind of the direction. I mean, that, I guess it's taking place. Right. If you can't tell through my voice out there, I don't think it should be taking place in this manner. <laughs> but that's why you should be interested because it's going to affect everybody. And it's one of the questions that you're kind of raising posed by the article, which is a federal courtroom presided over by a single judge, a better forum for making policy than 50 state legislatures or Congress. Now, that may seem a rhetorical question. I don't necessarily think it is a rhetorical question. So I I want us to talk about that. But two other things to share. And then when we come back here from break, Lance, and we'll let Lance get into why... uh, 
why he why it worries him and I'll see if I have anything to say about it or if I'm on the same page but basically the the situation here the, the advantages to this okay are that many plaintiffs in cases like the opioid and Facebook matters may never actually have access to justice without a way to aggregate their claims that's because trying so many of these little suits individually takes forever and many lawyers won't take the cases because each one is such a tiny payout. The problem is they don't qualify for class action because they weren't all affected the same way. So there wasn't, we were all wronged this way. It's no, we were all wrong slightly differently and therefore we don't meet what the Supreme Court considers a classification for class action. So we can't use that. And because we can't use that, we can't get access to a lawyer who will take on my, what they look at as a unworthy case of their time because there's not a big enough payday. You know, Lance Jackson's information being compromised by Facebook, that doesn't get me anything. You know, it, I, I won't get the money I need to take on somebody and win against Facebook without millions of Lance Jacksons, you know, or at least hundreds of thousands. So, the advantage there is the possibility of justice for people who might otherwise not see it because of the the way the system is currently set up. Now, on the other side, though, MDL judges can use unconventional processes to drive settlements. So that freedom may bring needed reliefs to plaintiffs, but it also creates some risks. Naturally, a judge has more potential leeway to abuse power in this system, and the MDL bar is a small, specialized group of lawyers, and some people worry that the chummy relationships among counsel may lead to quick settlement for fees rather than zealous advocacy for results, especially because everyone knows the cases are not going to trial. Because keep in mind, you know, you're Lance's Facebook CEO and he gets called into MDL court. He knows it's not going to trial because it doesn't go to MDL if it's going to, you know, 97% of the time it's not going to go to trial. So <laughs> there's a really good chance you're mm -hmm. never going to see a courtroom uh, before mm -hmm. a jury. However, that's because a settlement is almost always reached. So on some hands, it's appealing to both plaintiffs and those accused because it's, well, I'm never actually going to get convicted of something. However, I am going to have to reach a settlement, you know, and the appeal is when you bring all these together, the pressure of the others helps you reach the settlement. You know, that's, that is the thinking. So there's definitely some big pros and cons and the cons I'm sure that Lance are worried about are the obvious ability to abuse the power and the large amount of trust that you're placing in a single judge to hopefully have um, pure motives. So we'll we'll talk about that and we'll let Lance voice his concerns. But one of the reasons we're talking about this is because of what True Chat stands for. And uh, Lance is well qualified to tell us about that. Okay. I noticed how your voice changed. You made that ha ha. It's like, <laughs> the bright light comes on. <laughs> around the yeah. mission statement. The mission statement. True Chat will be the mortal enemy of speculation, innuendo, and stagnation. We will champion informed opinions and fresh ideas. True Chat will prove that media can be trusted, relied on, and responsible. We won't join the media elite because we're setting a new standard, a higher standard, the True Chat standard. Excellent. Uh, uh, now the light turns off. 
Um. <laughs> so uh, if you have any ethical concerns, we do care about them and we'd like to know. You can send those concerns to ethics at truechat.org. That's email. Send an email to ethics at mm. truechat.org. And uh, as Lance has pointed out in the past, for those of you who may not like to email and want a good old fashioned phone call, you can do that too. It's 844-878-2428 or just call 844-TRUE-CHAT. That's Look at t- that. Everything goes around True Chat. Uh-huh. Yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah that's T-R-U-C-H-A-T in the in the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So, but if you're going going to the website, it's T-R-U-E-C-H-A-T dot org. Because phone limits us to seven. That's right. Not eight. That's right. Gotcha. So we're we're confined by the by the man Goodness keeping gracious. us down. So Lance, uh why is this? Why does this concern you? MDLs. Let's let's step away from the opioid thing for a minute, and we'll come back to that at the end of the show. But uh, why well, does what MDLs I understand is not you? illegal because Congress passed a law establishing right. this. It's legal, but it's illegal because it's unconstitutional. How's that? It's unconstitutional because a judge is not supposed to make policy. Well, they would claim that they're not. They're just reaching settlements, <laughs> which judges have the authority to do. Okay, there's no trial. And there's no jury, and there's no jury because there's no trial. They're reaching settlements, which constitutionally there's not really any guidance on. Okay, but like I said, well, help me understand. I mean, I get, I understand what you're saying from a high mm-hmm. level perspective, but from a technical perspective, which is we know that's I'm not what being the technical. I'm using about. common sense. Okay, we're not trying to use technicality here. We're trying to use common sense. What is this person sitting in Cleveland? have to do with what's happening with the opioid crisis in the South, in Los Angeles, in whatever. And how do I personally, am I going to benefit from this? Because he's not going to look at individuals. He's going to make a broad-based decision that affects, okay, something, hits some big companies in the pocketbook or whatever. And and how does that really help individuals do anything? Um, secondly, I... You know, and people might say, well, you know, you're uncaring. Okay, I'm uncaring. I don't have an opioid problem. I don't want somebody to pass a law that makes it harder for me to get opioids if I need them. I mean, I've seen the same thing with, you know, with the meth and all of a sudden there's certain things I can't buy at the drugstore or, you know, Ohio passed a law and I can't have this, this, and this. Well, you know what? I need that stuff to breathe. And now I have to prove to them that I can buy that stuff and it's under wraps and everything else. Okay. You know, at some point we have to stop protecting everybody from everything that's out there and people have to take a little bit of their own personal, I don't know what, what's the word I'm looking for here. Their own, their own personal, you have to take responsibility for yourself, you know, take some personal responsibility. Well, now what about, why, why do we have to keep passing laws to protect people who aren't smart enough to take care of themselves? What about the situations though where we've talked about, for example, the Indian Health Service, where these people don't even know that they're being taken advantage of because they get a prescription from a doctor and it's it's being filled more than it's supposed to be by a pharmacy that's looking the other way. You know, they're not health professionals. That's why they go to a health professional. They're trusting that their doctor's given them the correct advice. I you know that I'm on the page of there is a limit to how much we should quote unquote protect stupid people. Then let's go after the doctor. Let's not have it a, this big, huge thing where Dr. A still gets to 
have his license, have his or her license. Why? Let's go after the individuals. Let's not do this broad-based thing that affects people that aren't breaking the law. Let's go after the lawbreakers. I, I mean, if, if that's your yeah. if that's your example, that's my answer. And I'm not saying you have to go through 50 different cases and I'll give you an answer for each one. But if, if somebody's abusing the system, then let's go after the abuser. Let's well, not throw everything in or throw everything out just because there there is a bad apple here and there. Or there are lots of bad apples. That still doesn't, why should the bad apples affect what we get to do, those of us who aren't doing anything wrong? Well, the I think that's part of, I mean, keep in mind, as, as we highlighted at the beginning of the show, this is really, Lance and I's understanding of MDLs is limited to what we've read in this piece because it isn't something that's gotten hardly any attention up until just recently. And when I say recently, I mean, the last few years is when this has really started to come to Prevalence where well, because it looks like it sounds like to from us, 1968 right? is right. just it, now. It's an old law yeah. that people are that courts are using now in a way that not wasn't necessarily intended to be used right. when Congress passed this law. So it's like, hey, here's something that's been sitting on the sidelines. I read about it somewhere if I'm a judge, and I'm gonna now start to use it because I think I can make it fit these situations. And my motive may be entirely good pure, and I'm yeah. trying to help people or I may be trying to get my name in the legal map. I may be trying to make a name for myself sure. so that I can get a promotion. And so I, I'm not necessarily, my motives aren't necessarily pure. It could, I mean, obviously it can be, you know, either way. Uh, so the, somebody using a law un, in an unintended way. But we have that issue. I mean, forget MDLs. There's that issue in the court system just generally, and I don't mean just with judges I'm talking about, especially on the prosecutor side. You know, there's, we've known for years that many prosecutors, their goal is to climb the ladder. There's lots of prosecutors who that's not their goal. They really are trying to do, you know, their job for the public and, and they don't have that interest or they don't have that kind of ambition that's going to handicap their uh, goodwill towards prosecuting, but there are lots of prosecutors who do, you know, just like naturally there are judges who have ambitions and therefore may not always be as fair as they should. Uh, but I think the one thing the article highlights that, you know, we don't have time to dive into in full detail is this idea that the one thing that this brings light to is that we don't have a good way to handle the kinds of cases that are some of the most important right now, like certain opioid cases, like the Facebook issue. We don't, our court system was set up a long time ago and hasn't changed a lot since then to accommodate for companies that truly, while yes, headquartered, for example, in California, that doesn't have anything to do with how they run their business. You know, the fact that their headquarters are in California, it wouldn't matter if their headquarters were in California, New York, or here in Urbana, Ohio, you still wouldn't, you wouldn't want to necessarily go to that court because that's not where you were affected. So in many ways you could, I think you could maybe make it an argument that constitutionally your rights are kind of getting violated by, Yes, I'm using a company that's quote unquote based in California, but they have servers all over the country and I access them here in Champaign County, Ohio. And I think my local, 
you know, judge should be the one that hears this case because the people here are the ones that allegedly I have a right to appear before, you know, those are the ones that should hear my gripe because those are the ones who understand what my life is like, Mm -hmm. not some court in California who's never heard of me and who doesn't understand what living in rural Ohio is like. That's not, those are not a jury of my peers, you know? So I think there's an argument there too for, not that MDLs are the solution, because I agree with Lance. I don't think they are either. I think they are. They were they were clearly designed by Congress for a particular cause, and Congress was sloppy, and then didn't decide to, you know, sunset it or to revisit this very open <laughs> legislation that they put in play. Uh, and I guess the the way the article ends is with the argument that the court is within its right and is you know constitutionally. Uh, mandated to interpret the law and it's interpreting a law that Congress passed. So I agree that I don't think this is a great thing to leave alone, but let's make sure that we're mad at the wrong people. And it's not the court system. The court system did what it's constitutionally required to do, which is said, here's a law and we interpret it this way. If Congress doesn't like it, they can get rid of the law or they can change the law and then we'll reinterpret, you know, Uh, but we're not doing anything that we see is beyond our constitutional obligation, you know? Uh, So if it's truly something that Lance and I don't like, and I think that I'm on that page of, it's not a good long-term idea because this is what we wanted to avoid, right? Historically, I Mm -hmm. mean, we didn't want there to be people like this where one person had that kind of authority to decide your destiny um, when you go before them. That was the whole jury of your peers idea. So there, there's that issue as well. And these are decided without a jury. Correct. Well, because it's a, it's a settlement. So, right. you know, everybody... Because it's a pre-trial hearing. Right. Everybody agrees. What, 97% of them are, are decided yeah. before there's ever a trial. Like I said, similar to arbitration, you know, it's the same kind of thinking. Sure, because... Just with a judge instead of You're in of trouble and so you're going to... Arbitrator. You're gonna, going to want to deal with me rather than go before the people because the people are going to kill you. I mean, the people are going to really punish your company. But if you let me do it, then we'll come to some kind of settlement or agreement because, of course, we're lawyers and we're all lawyers and we know the law and so we know what's best. So let's not turn it over to the people. Why should the people have the power? You know, we're we're intelligent human beings, so we'll decide what's best for the people. Right. Well, the... And that's where you get into something specific like the opioid crisis. Because generally speaking, I agree with you. But the opioid crisis, the... That these smart lawyers are going to decide for us what we need. Many juries... Instead of us having the decision power. Many juries are pinned in a very difficult situation with opioid situations. Because keep in mind, you know, despite that we talk about it on the show... And now we're going to just talk about opioids? Yeah, we're, okay. we're going to shift because that conversation, I know we can go on for a while, but right. generally speaking, in principle, I agree with you. I want to talk about practicality when it comes to the opioid crisis. Okay. The difficult position that many judges face, you know, every day is they don't get to tell a jury that if you find this man guilty, I am legally required to impose a mandatory minimum of X number of years. The jury doesn't know that, nor are they allowed to be informed of that by either counsel or the judge. 
legally we don't we're not allowed to tell the jury so we can't tell the jury this guy's a first time offender and he was found with x amount of weed and that classifies him as a trafficker so now he's going to spend 10 years in prison if you find him guilty that's what happens if you find him guilty you know but you don't know that you're just asked to decide is he guilty of this crime then the judge is faced with this is a first time offender you know, never done anything else wrong with drugs. He has one or two other minor offenses. And because of that, I have to put him in prison for 10 years. Marijuana is an opioid. Well, I'm not talking. Okay. I guess if we want Sorry, to focus I'm, on I'm opioids. I'm asking. I'm, I shouldn't I'm, use, I shouldn't use marijuana. As no, the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm drug dumb. I don't know. Yeah. I shouldn't use, if we're going to talk opioid specific, I shouldn't use that. I mean, but, I take steroids. I could never, you know, play in a professional sports league because I, my blood sample would be thrown out. Right. Because the only reason I'm on this earth breathing. Well, you're legally prescribed steroids. Is, yeah, but they're still steroids. I mean, right. they're, they would be counted as performance enhancing, mm -hmm. but I just have to have them so I can breathe every morning. Yeah. But, <laughs> they're, they're important. So, yeah. So I can't play professional sports. That's why you don't see me on the, oh, on the TV. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's why you're not out there. Yeah. So, but other than that, I, I've stayed, I've spent my life staying around away from drugs. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not necessarily a moralistic crusade. It was just something that a decision I made, you know, a long, long time ago when I was a teenager. Um, and so I, that wasn't a big, I wasn't being facetious and trying to pin you. I'm like, really? I didn't think it was, but I was just making I was just making sure because I don't really know. No, I shouldn't have. I guess I was pulling back even a little further and I should have qualified the drugs in general because marijuana is federally qualified. But I do understand your point. I do yes. understand your point. Whether it's and marijuana or something based else. Based on the amount, now you're punished for something. And, and the jury doesn't... One of the issues, because I took a criminal justice class and this is one of those things, right. I, I had no idea some of the problems with our justice system that I don't know exactly how we solve. I wish I had some solutions, but I, get, I think there are things people don't know that by knowing you can think about what this is bad, you know, one of the bad things is the jury doesn't know that. Right. So they're being asked, you know, to, to make what they believe is one of two decisions, which isn't true. They actually have at least three decisions and sometimes more, but they're not told that right. you have to decide, is this person guilty or not? They don't know most of the time, you know, like it's a crazy amount. It's like 98% of juries never know that they have the option to nullify, mm -hmm. you know, say that we disagree with the law. And therefore, while we find this person to be guilty of those charges brought before him, we will not consider him guilty in this instance because we are not willing to impose the punishment that we feel is wrong. And I think that's one of the most powerful, awesome things that our country has is the ability for a jury of your peers to say, no, the law is wrong and you should not be punished for what you did. But they don't know that. And of course, the argument for why they don't know that is because if all juries knew, then they wouldn't make the tough decisions ever. And most juries would nullify because like, well, you know, we feel bad and we shouldn't do that. And then they wouldn't use it when they're supposed to. So it's the... How many people get punished because juries don't know that's an option? And how many people would not get properly punished if juries knew that's an option? Well, the and the other problem is, and you situation. pointed it out, that's true, and I agree with you, but the, the other problem you pointed out is that we took away the judge's rights to determine sentencing. Yes. Because back in the, I want to say 70s or 80s, I mean, I remember... Re 
people were, well, this person did this crime and this crime, and now they're back out on the street. And so we went to mandatory sentencing. So all of a sudden then, you don't need a judge anymore. Because a judge, right? Judge? Yeah. What's the definition in the dictionary? I mean, I wish, you know, you can look it up quickly. But a judge is someone who takes all the information in and then makes the best decision possible as it pertains to all parties. Okay? Well, if you have mandatory sentencing, you don't need a judge. It's like, oh, you're guilty. Okay. Uh, rule three says, okay, right here, you get five years. That's not what a judge used to do. A judge had the ability to do what you said, and that is look at the entire person, look at the entire situation, and yes, they were guilty of a crime, but now how much punishment does this person deserve based on what kind of human being have they been up to this point? Right. And and other factors, you know, what? how many family members do they have? Are they working to support people? Are they blah, 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 blah. All of these things went into making a judge's decision. And we as a society said, well, we don't like that because there are too many criminals walking the street. So we took that power away from a judge and said, now we have mandatory sentencing. You do this, this is the punishment. You do this, this is the punishment. You do this, this is the punishment. So we've put ourselves in this situation, like where you said with mandatory sentencing, it didn't used to be that way. Right. So there's, a, there's we an gave, option. We gave, we gave the judge intellectual ability and, and you know, do your job, professional, you know, professional decision making here. Much yeah. like we have, and I've got to say it because the show's closing, we haven't talked about it, much like we did with education with teachers. We took away their right discretion to make their professional judgments on right. things and said, all teachers must do this to all kids. Which is part of why, for okay, what it's worth. Okay, that's when systems start to go down because all people are not the same. Yeah, conceptually, that's part of why I don't like MDLs. But on the other hand, why I, why I don't get upset at judges for looking at this as an alternative, because it's kind of like I, as the idealistic person I am, could not imagine being forced to give somebody a minimum sentence that I believe in my professional judgment is completely wrong. Right. You know? To send somebody with a small child who made a dumb mistake, who certainly doesn't deserve jail time, you know, didn't hurt anybody else, didn't, they got caught, they didn't, you know, it's not like they actually, it's not like they got caught after it happened, they get caught preemptively because they're dumb, you know, or whatever, and then we're going to incarcerate them and spend a fortune on that instead of, as Lance and I have talked about in Camden, and many times we've looked at rehabilitation which is supposedly what the criminal justice system is supposed to be about, get them back into society, get them back being part of a productive, you know, a productive citizen. Uh, so no, I don't, I guess I'm not upset at judges for doing this because I, I think that legally they're certainly within their bounds. I think Congress needs to say, we have to do something better than this because this is not, this is not the answer. Judges obviously feel strongly enough that they're trying to take things into their own hands because they're saying, whoa, guys, you know, we are not okay with what you're asking us to do. It's not reasonable to ask us to give somebody five or 10 years for this crime when we've heard the case and that's not what they deserve. You know, we're not, we're not dumb. <laughs> we were here for a reason and we ought to have that leeway. On the flip side though, and it'd only be fair to mention, then there's lots of people who feel that judges, that many judges make the wrong decision about imposing too strict of a sentence, you know? 
on the flip side of that. So I don't want to I don't want to leave that open. There's been a lot of talk about allowing new um, judge software to make these decisions and start to replace human judges with uh, analytical machines that take in just the facts of the situation and uh, make those informed decisions that people can't make without bias. So, and I, and I don't want to get Lance started on that. So we'll have to talk about that another day, but uh, we'll see. Just thinking of King Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the wise people we've had down through the ages who all of a sudden we're going to replace with a drone, with a computer. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll leave it on that for you guys to think about. Give us your thoughts and more. It's a big issue. And like we said, there's two different things. You got the opioid crisis here and you've got MDLs and they're very different. They just happen to be intertwined for this episode. But let us know your thoughts. If you know more about MDLs, send us some info because we got to do some more research, but we thought it was important to at least uh, bring it to light because it's certainly something if we didn't know about it, there's a decent chance that a lot of people out there don't either because uh, we try to stay pretty well read on this stuff. So hopefully you've learned something today and we'll uh, we'll look to see if you can teach us anything. As always, you can go to the website or the app truechat.org or truechat in your phone store, T-R-U-E-C-H-A-T. Listen or comment on either platform. And if you're already tuning in to podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, you can certainly subscribe to our shows there and get the latest episodes downloaded directly to your smartphone. For The State of Us on True Chat in Urbana, Ohio, I'm Justin T. Weller. And I'm Lance Jackson. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time on The State of Us. Be the change. Responsible media? Listen on demand to politics, sports, and more with the True Chat app or at truechat.org. Beyond the horizon, there is trustworthy media at True Chat. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.